Good morning, church family. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's always good to get together. So um, each Sunday, we love to see you. We love to see those of you joining us online, and, uh, it's, and it's good to be together every Sunday, but especially something about preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? p.m., my wife picks up our son Chris from school. 2.40 p.m., Amy picks up our son Trevor from school. 2.45 p.m., Amy drops Chris off at grandparents. Then she goes back home. 4.05 p.m., Amy leaves to drop off Trevor for theater rehearsal. 4.45 p.m., Amy picks up Chris from grandparents and drives back home. 5.45 p.m., I pick up our daughter Mia from basketball practice, and we come home. At 6.15 p.m., I drop Chris off at basketball practice and come back home. At 7 o'clock, Amy drops Mia off at Bible study and comes back home. 8.15 p.m., Kaylin picks up Mia. Our daughter Kaylin picks up our daughter Mia. They come home. 8.40 p.m., I pick up Chris from basketball practice and come home. 9.45 p.m., I pick up Trevor from theater rehearsal and come home. Just your average Olson family Tuesday afternoon. First of all, I have a point with this, by the way. But first of all, my wife is an amazing human being. <laughs> um, and of course, I know, and, and of course, we know she's not the only one that uh, has a lot on her plate. In, in addition to the blessing of raising children, uh, all of us have different things in our life stages that, are, put our, that make our plates full. Um, and, and the interesting thing about this past, that's this past Tuesday afternoon, and games and performances hadn't even kicked in yet. Since Tuesday, games and performances have kicked in as well. Um, so, you know, it's always exciting. Uh, but I don't tell that story as a, uh, a poor us, poor Olson family, oh, <laughs> Derek and Amy and their uh, hectic lives. I bring it up to ask this morning, uh, what is your version of that this December? And in the past, whether it's the past few days or as you look at your calendar uh, and what you know to be upcoming in the next few days or a few weeks, what is your version of that uh, this December? What could, if we allow it, what could distract us from the reason for the season? I couldn't help it. <laughs> but what, but what, could, what, what if we're not careful, what, what pulls us away? What distracts us? Uh, what takes up our time? It's good to think about that for a moment. Good to analyze our presence of mind and our calendars, both past and, pre- and future. Uh, I think it's important because I want us to realize that that's why we need Advent. That's why Advent starts four Sundays before we celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas. That's why we need, I think God knows our our circumstances and the busyness of our hearts and minds and knows that we need a season, the Advent season, preparing for the arrival, preparing for the coming of Jesus. We need a season to pause and reflect and prepare for that and all that that means in our lives. So Sundays are an important part of that. You know, it's great to have us gather together and point one another to Jesus. So Sundays are an important part of that. But uh, I want you to take a look, too, at your daily and weekly rhythms and consider how might uh, this Advent season, this Advent time of reflection and preparation look in your 
day-to-day life, in your times with God by yourself or in, in times at a meal with your family. Um, there's lots of options out there. There's lots of uh, tools to help uh, discussions or think through or prepare for Jesus' coming. So I encourage you to be thinking about that. Grab your Bibles, if you haven't already, and open with me to John chapter 13. I'd love you to have your Bible with you or use your Bible app on uh, your favorite device and find the Gospel of John with me. In the back of your Bible is the New Testament. At the beginning of the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four, four Gospel stories of the life of Jesus. And we're going to be in John chapter 13. Um, just a side note, I sometimes get asked what uh, version of the Bible I'm reading from, and if you're curious or if you're on your Bible app want to use the same translation as me, it's the ESV, English Standard Version. Uh, you're certainly welcome to have that, but you don't have to have that in order to follow through, but we love you to have your finger in the text, so to speak, keeping our finger in God's Word to hear from Him together. So this, this morning, we have the second Sunday of Advent as we continue to prepare ourselves for the, the birth of Jesus. Uh, but also this morning, uh, our time together in God's Word this morning is the conclusion of our series that we've called The Heart of Christ. And so we want to continue to um, ask God to show us what are we learning about the heart of Jesus, about his, what's, what's true of him at his core, what is his default posture towards us? And so we're going to walk phrase by phrase, studying together phrase by phrase through John chapter 13, verse 1 today. So here it is, John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So that's John 13, verse 1. And we're going to just kind of go phrase by phrase through that together. Keep your finger in the text. Let's look at it. Let's talk about it. And let's keep working our way through. Uh, verse 1 begins with, now before the feast of the Passover. And, and while we can't do um, an extended version of bringing us up to date on what is the Passover, I want to do a, a quick 30,000 foot flyby. I think this is really interesting and important background to this verse that we're looking at this morning. It says, now before the feast of the Passover. What is the feast of the Passover? Well, we learn about the institution of this feast in the Bible book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And uh, it's a God incidence, not a coincidence, that my daily Bible reading plan has had me in Exodus the past few days, few weeks. And so uh, by God incidence, I am uh, refreshed on the story. Uh, it's, it's fresh in mind, the story of the Exodus. Uh, in approximately 1400 BC, God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and God determined to set his people free. God determined that that time of enslavement under the Egyptians was to be over, and he was going to set his people free. And yet, of course, if you, um, if you have a chance to read the initial chapters of Exodus and, and, and remind yourself of this story, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, refuses. His heart is hardened against this plan to set God's people free. And so God, to demonstrate his power, sends various plagues, 
plague after plague that bring difficulty and hardship on the land of the Egyptians to demonstrate his power and to bring, apart, bring about his will of setting his people free. And the last plague that God sends that, that is announced is an awful situation where once the plague comes through, every firstborn in the land will die. Among humans, among animals, this will be the plague because Pharaoh has continued to refuse to cooperate with God. But God had a way to protect his people. Followers of God were protected as they followed his instructions. As God's people obeyed these instructions that God was about to give, he gave them protection from this plague. And the instructions they were given was to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood and to wipe the blood on the doorposts of their home. And, and of course, these are things that we don't relate to in our society, in our culture, in our, in our practices. But at the time, these sacrifices were made to to honor God and to show that he was first in their lives. And this is another opportunity for them to make a sacrifice. Uh, A lamb is killed, the blood is shed, the blood is painted over the doorpost, and and they are told that the reason they're doing this is so that the Lord would pass over their house. That when the destroyer came to bring about the death of all the firstborn in the land, those marked with the blood of the lamb would be passed over. And so that awful plague led to Pharaoh finally relenting and God, God's purposes prevailing and the freeing of his people and their exodus from Egypt. That's why the Bible book is named that way, because of God's people and their exodus out of Egypt. And eventually, if you follow the story in the Bible, to the promised land, their exodus out of slavery and eventually to the promised land. So, was Passover significant in the history of God's people? Yeah. So so they instituted the feast of the Passover to remember that God had passed over and protected his people. So the Passover was this critical turning point. If we think of our Bibles from front to back as as one story, of God redeeming a people for himself. We, think of our, we, we can think of our Bibles this way, from front to back, uh, of God setting about to rescue a people for himself. And, and the Passover was this critical turning point in the redemption of God's people. So let's keep going in our verse in John, John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... So now now we're 1,400 years later. Now Jesus is walking the earth. John is telling the story of Jesus. And here we are in chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Let me, uh, some more background for us. Earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, this is on the screen, John the baptizer who paved the way for Jesus, John the baptizer back in the beginning of this Gospel proclaims, says this about Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the baptizer announces this about Jesus, that Jesus is the promised rescuer, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And so here in, in John 13, 1, it says Jesus realizes that his hour had come to depart. 
God had set about a rescue plan to continue the redemption of his people. The Passover was a critical part of God redeeming a people for himself. And now Jesus knows that it's his hour to depart out of this world, to go to the cross, to fulfill God's rescue plan. And Jesus goes willingly to the cross. Willingly, out of love for you and I, he goes to the cross and he is not just another sacrifice that needs to keep coming every time we sin. Jesus goes to the cross willingly and is the once-for-all sacrifice because he is not just another lamb. He is the spotless, perfect, sinless Son of God, Lamb of God. And so Passover was a turning point in the redemption of God's people. And now Jesus knows that his hour had come to depart because the cross would usher in yet another marvelous era in the redemption of God's people, in the rescuing of God's people from sin and death. Let's continue in our verse, John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. What is, who is he speaking of here when he says his own? Having loved his own. This is an expression used throughout the Gospel of John to refer to Jesus' true followers. Those who have, who have put their trust in God's work, who have recognized that they can't rescue themselves. They have put their trust in Jesus. The, the, the phrase in the Gospel of John, his own, uh, consistently refers to the true followers of Jesus, those that by faith in Jesus have become children of God and been rescued from sin and death and brought into the family of God. His own are his disciples, his followers that have been given to him by the Father. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. The phrase to the end there, in the original language, our Bibles are translated into English, and in the case of the New Testament, they are translated from Greek, and the Greek word uh, that, that is translated to the end, telos, has a variety of meanings, but a couple of them would be to the fullest extent. He, Jesus, Jesus loved his own to the telos, to the furthest extent, to, there's this unfolding sense of telos, love. This unfolding, this, this full strength. Uh, one of the commentators that I read as I studied this week said that it's a love without limits. Telos. Jesus loved his own that were in the world and he loved them. Telos. A love that has no Limits, no end. Can we, can, we, can we fathom that? A love, tell us, a love without limits, a love that has no end. I mean, we need, here we are in a, in a series of, concluding a series of messages where we've asked God to show us about the heart of Christ, about who Jesus is, about what he thinks of you and me. And we want to ponder his heart And we want to ponder that love of Jesus. And and I think it's tough. And we don't always like to hear it. 
But we've done this a few times in this series. I think if we want to really get a look at the heart of Christ, maybe we should contrast that briefly with our own hearts and our own, the extent or abilities of our own love. I mean, you know, I, I, I opened the, this morning with that, that, uh, that schedule of an average afternoon in the Olson family. I love my kids until I drive all around a town and realize how much gas costs. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I love my kids. I should, I should say, I, I started with that silly story as an example. And, and it is crazy and hectic in the Olson family at times, but we love it. It's the season of life that we're in. We love them. We love what God has made them, how God has made them and what they're into, and we love supporting them. Um, but, but what is the limits of our love as humans? I think if we're brutally honest, we recognize that our love has limits, that our love is not telos. We love if it's reciprocated. We love if the person behaves the way we want. We love, love, love people until we're betrayed. We love people until they forsake us and give up on us and and leave us. We love when it's convenient. Our love, our ability to love as fallen, sinful human beings, it, it kind of comes, to, our, our love kind of hits a dead end at times, if we're honest. It comes, to, there is a limit. We, we get to the end of ourselves. I don't know what difficult circumstances you have faced recently or are currently in the midst of, but perhaps you relate, as I do, to coming to the end of yourself. to reaching the end of the rope where you don't know if you can keep doing what God has asked you to do, whether you can keep enduring the circumstances that a fallen, sinful world brings about. Our compassion can run out at that point. When 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 we try to compare the way we can love to the way that God loves, when we come to the end of our rope, when we we come to the end of ourselves, our compassion might run out. Our, Our love can be limited. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus, the Son of God, the rescuer of the world, God became flesh, Jesus. Our passage, our verse in John says that he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them, tell us. He loved them to the end. You know, when we're asked to love others, when, we're, when we think we're loving sacrificially, we, we still hold something back for ourselves. Our love is restrained. Our love has limits. But Jesus did not hold anything back. He was tell us. It was to the end. He didn't keep some for himself like we do. He does not love like us. We, we, our human perceptions put, put characteristics and understanding of God on him that are not accurate. He does not love like us. Jesus came to the point in history He walked up to the point in history that God called him to go to the cross and he turned and went the other way. 
Anybody? Is that what happened? Jesus walked to the point of human history where, God, where, where he was approaching the pinnacle of God's redemption and restoration plan, and Jesus went through it. He went through with it. He went telos. His love didn't turn around and go when it was inconvenient. His love pursued into the cross, through the cross, and beyond the cross. His love is tell us. He went through with God's rescue plan despite the fact that he was betrayed, despite the fact that he felt forsaken, he demonstrated love with no limit. He demonstrated love to the fullest extent. The gospel is the spectacular news that through no merit of ours, but by his mercy, We have been restored to a right relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of his beloved son. The gospel is the spectacular news that not because of us, because of Jesus. It's spectacular news that not because we tried hard or earned or behaved, but God had mercy on us. The gospel is the spectacular news that you and I, who, are, who, are broke, who were broken and separated from God by our sin, have been restored, put back in a right relationship with God, not by what we could do, but all because of what Jesus has done. So speaking of love with no limits, speaking of, of Advent season, We've been talking this morning about why do we need Advent? Why do we celebrate these, these Sundays of Advent? Why do we need a period of time to pause and reflect and prepare ourselves for the birth of Jesus? Speaking of love without limits, uh, if you want, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't, you can just listen to me read it. If you want to turn to it, Philippians 2 is take a right turn in your Bible, about six or seven books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, and picking up on this idea of love without limits, speaking of of, of needing to reflect on who Jesus is during the Advent season, let's look together at Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Christ Jesus, who, though he was God, with all the majesty and, and, and and honor, and privileges of being God, though Jesus, who was God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He did not cling, he did not feel he needed to cling to his deity and remain in the heavens as, and on high and, and clinging to those privileges that came with that. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born, there's a key word for the Advent season, right? Being born in the likeness of men. God became a man. Not just a man. God willingly humbled himself to becoming a human. Yes, to becoming a human baby, he humbled himself 
in order to enter into our world, in order to enter into our experience, in order to enter in as, as the one who will then be the perfect, spotless Lamb of God representing us. The Creator God, God Almighty, Creator of the heavens and the earth, God became a man. God made his home among us. Merry Christmas, Faith Church. God made his home among us. Merry Christmas. And this passage does this. This passage in Philippians does this. It connects Christmas to the cross. If we continue reading in Philippians 2, it connects Jesus' birth to his death in our place. So here we are in Advent season, needing to prepare ourselves, needing to reflect so that this season is meaningful to us, needing to prepare ourselves to celebrate birth of the birth of Jesus, not just exchange gifts, not just put up a tree, not just do all the family traditions, not just go to all the parties, not just do all the things, not just 2.35 p.m. running to basketball practice and rehearsal, but it's a... <laughs> but to recognize that God became a man. Merry Christmas. We read in this passage, and this connection is made from Christmas to the cross. Keep reading. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I know it's not Easter (laughs) yet. I know we're in the Christmas season. But here we are in God's word reminding us about the death of Christ. He's connecting Christmas to the cross. He's connecting the birth of Jesus to the necessary death of Jesus on our behalf. And I was reminded this week about how, uh, as I learned the Bible from various, from in churches and in various mentors and in teachers growing up, uh, I would often, I remember often learning some of the details of crucifixion. Some of the like medical explanation for his death. Maybe some of you relate to that. And then, and then, as God called me to be a Bible teacher, I have taught some of those excruciating physical body details of what crucifixion does, of what being nailed to a cross does to a human being. And I have passed along some of those medical explanations for the death of God's Son on the cross. And it can be helpful. Because I think, especially the longer you've been a Christian, it may be pretty easy to go, yeah, Jesus died for me. But I do think there's some usefulness in understanding the his, his willingness to go to death for us, not just willingness to go to death, but to go to death in, in an excruciating form of torture in the, in the Roman Empire. There is some helpfulness to knowing the physical aspects of his death. Yet, what Jesus took on when he went to the cross What Jesus took on in order to rescue us from sin and death was far more than physical. What Jesus did to love us, tell us. Church family, what Jesus did to love you, tell us. 
to the end, to the fullest extent. What Jesus did to love us to the end, how did he show us that he was willing to love us to the end? I want to read just a couple of sentences from Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly, the book that we've been giving away. What is physical torture compared to the full weight of centuries of cumulative wrath absorption? Absorbing God's wrath poured out against sin. What is physical torture compared to the full weight of centuries of cumulative wrath absorption? That mountain of piled up horrors? How did Jesus even retain sanity psychologically in absorbing the sum total penalty of every lustful thought and deed coming from the hearts of God's people? And, that, and, that, and that's just one sin among many. That lust was an ex- just one example. Perhaps it was sheer despair that broke Jesus down into death. If he was sweating blood at the thought of God's abandonment, which by the way could come up with perhaps a medical explanation for, Perhaps, um, where'd I go? If he was sweating blood at the thought of God's abandonment, what was it like to go through with the cross? Would it not have been the withdrawal of God's love from his heart, not the withdrawal of oxygen from his lungs that killed him? Who could hold up mental stability when drinking down what God's people deserved? In the presence of this mental anguish, wrote Warfield, the physical tortures of the crucifixion retire into the background, and we may well believe that our Lord, though he died on the cross, yet died not of the cross, as we commonly say, uh, but as we commonly say, perhaps he died of a broken heart. It was the suffering of Christ's heart that overwhelmed what his physical frame could handle. Jesus came to the pinnacle moment of history. Jesus walked right up to the the edge, to the precipice of God's rescue plan. And he went through with it. He loved you, church family. Tell us. He took the weight and the penalty of all our sins so that we could be forgiven. He absorbed God's wrath against sin so that we could be set free, forgiven, made new, given new life, and so that his work in transforming us from the inside out would begin. That's what telos love looks like. That's the heart of Jesus. Now, before the feast of the Passover, who, uh, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Are you his own? Are you his own? Are you among those who are true disciples, true followers of Jesus, who have Given, given over control of life, given over preferences and opinion and a desire to pull myself up by the bootstraps and try really hard to earn God's love, to behave in such a way that maybe he'll like me? Or are you his own? 
giving up all that and looking to him through faith and trusting yourself by moving away from trying to save yourself and realizing the only way to salvation is through God's son, Jesus, through putting our faith in him, trusting him. Are you his own? Are you in Jesus? Because it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done. So entrust yourself to Jesus today. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to be together with my church family. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to hear from you through your word. Father, thank you for this second Sunday of Advent, this second Sunday of reminder that we need pause, time to reflect, and time to prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I pray that you would bring that about in our lives, God, that you would help us to um, imagine or to, to, to consider our schedules, to consider our responsibilities, and then to put you at the top of the list this season. I know I need that. I think that many in my church family need that. And Father, I believe that Faith Church needs a season of seeking Jesus, of knowing him more, of resting in him, of learning to hear his voice. Teach us, Father, to listen. And God, help us to lean into the transforming work you want to do in our hearts and lives. God, may we not be um, satisfied with just having come to know you at one point, but may we um, just yearn to know you more. May our hearts want more of your heart. God, draw us close to you. This season and always, draw us close to you so that we can receive everything we need from you. Your word tells us that your grace abounds to us, that your love overflows to us. God, would you draw us close to you so that we would know your love, so that we could um, submit to you in the increasingly transforming work you want to do, giving us new hearts and new minds and new attitudes and new desires, desires and, and hearts and minds and lives that are not our own, that are lived for ourselves, but that are conformed to your greatness and your purposes for us. So God, show us what you have for us this Advent season, how we can put ourselves at your feet, how we can pause and reflect and prepare. And God, we, we heard about this Advent hope. So, so teach us to look back at what you've done to look back to your faithfulness to us in our own lives. Help us to look back to the cross and what was accomplished there so that we can now wait in our current circumstances, wait in this Advent season, wait in this period of life you have us in now with hope, with faithful, trusting hope 
because of your goodness to us. Thank you, God, for your generosity to us. Help us to live lives that are generous because of all that you've given us. God, we want to we be generous in return to you, generous with our thankfulness to you, generous with our prayers, generous with our offerings, generous with our voices lifted up out of thankfulness for who you are and what you've done. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.